Coming up at 635, we'll hear some of the best moments from the Seahawks season. But right now, we'll get the latest on the U.S. economy from CBS business analyst Jill Schlesinger. The national debt has reached an all-time high yet again. Credit card debt is as high as ever. Interest rates still pretty high. So I asked Jill if she thinks we could be seeing a repeat of 2009. So I think that 2009, for those of us who lived through it, is sort of like, uh, I'll go back in time with you, Dave, because we both lived through it. It's sort of like that 1987 crash. It singed us for a while and in the stock market crash. And, um, and the people who came after that never really understood why we were so spooked. And people who lived through 2008, 2009, same thing, like near-death experience for the overall economy. But, you know, the the, the seed of that problem was about the leverage in the financial system overall. So it wasn't so much the leverage of individual homeowners. It was that plus that the financial sector took bets on that leverage. Mm -hmm. So the housing market, lots of cheap lending, then the actual packaging of those loans, and then leverage on top of that. So all of that spelled disaster when the tide went out. In this, in this circumstance, I think there's a few things that are um, actually in the favor of avoiding that kind of a catastrophe. When it comes to credit card debt, I agree. It's always unnerving to see credit card debt levels go up. But you know what? The job market has remained resilient. It's pretty amazing. We got a jobs report out on Friday, and we see that not only were there 216,000 jobs created, but really there was uh, the the essence of a pretty strong labor market, or at least solid, I would say, of 2023. That has actually allowed people to finance the debt that they are accumulating. Now, you're right. It is a concern if that turns around, right? It is a concern if all of a sudden people with all that debt say, oh, my gosh, these interest rates are terrible and I can't actually finance them as well as I could or my job is not it. I've lost my job or things do change. They'll stop spending as much. The only good news about that is that that will bring inflation down even more. It probably would cause a recession if spending fell off a cliff. But as long as the labor market remains fairly resilient and uh, the overall economy should as well. As far as the government, you know, this is like the well-documented problem that we have seen building year after year after year since the mid 2000s, really. So for just a 20 year problem, we've seen debt accumulate year year after year, and yet we still have Congress people who are voting for tax cuts. It's just insanity. So something's going to change at some point. We can't finance the government in this fashion. And my best guess is that it's not going to be solved with less spending. It is going to be solved with higher taxes. Hearing from CBS's Jill Schlesinger, and I want to get get her uh, take on Social Security because oh, the way it's designed is in in the event that there isn't enough money to make those payments, those payments are are cut back. So what does she think about that happening? Social Security is the easier problem to solve than Medicare and Medicaid. But Social Security, the problem is that you're not running out of being able to pay. You're paying a reduced amount, right? So in, let's not going to make it like in 10 or 12 years, 2035, the government will be faced with this idea that there are only enough workers to pay out 75% of promised benefits for Social Security. So what's the solve? The solve is you either raise the Social Security wage base, the amount on which you pay your FICA taxes, you actually change or increase the FICA tax overall, 
employers pay a little bit more, employees pay a little bit more, or you fiddle with retirement age. And everyone always says, oh, we should wait longer to with people to claim. You probably don't have a blue collar job where it's physically demanding. So good yeah, for you. Right. You can sit it behind your desk for three more years. But it would be, it wouldn't be crazy for people to, I mean, when you got 10 years notice here, uh, you might have a plan B just in case that happens, right? Dave, I live my life with a plan B. Good. <laughs> I mean, I really do. And so the plan B is that you cannot rely on Social Security as the sole form of your retirement benefits. You just can't. So your plan B, again, like if I have different choices in terms of if I'm the government, what I can do for retirement, there's very clear options. You can save more today. You can spend less in the future and you can delay your own retirement. You know, the big problem that we face in this country is actually that people retire too early, even on their their own volition. They just retire too early and they spend too much money in the early years of their retirement. Because you know what we all do? We say, oh, I knew Joe Schmo. He retired. He dropped dead a year after he retired. I should enjoy life. Yeah. yeah lucky for you, you're going to be the one who lives till 98. <laughs> all right. So no recession. We're seeing some resilience and have a plan B. I would say no recession this minute could change on a dime. I am not, pro, I'm a prognostic. I am not a prognosticator. Mm -hmm. I am telling you that right this second, we are not in a recession. There does not appear to be a recession on the horizon right now. The financial markets are not flashing red recession, but it can happen anytime. I said the same thing in January, 2020. So go back and look at the playbook there. Jill Schlesinger. Thank you, Jill. Take care. This is Seattle's Morning News. Dave Ross with Colleen O'Brien and Chris Sullivan. I believe just about everybody here at the office has had that cough with a capital C. You know, the one that you thought was just a minor cold, but now, what, four, five, six weeks later, you're still coughing, uh, what, every five to ten minutes or so? So it's time to page the doctor. Paging Dr. Cohen. Dr. Gordon Cohen, MD. I, I'm guessing, I never had a diagnosis, but I'm guessing I had at least some form of RSV at one point. And yeah, it, it hung on for several weeks after that. So do we know what this cough is? I think everybody, like literally everybody that's listening to your show has had a cough that has persisted. And I think it's really a normal thing. The thing is, is that because of COVID, we've become hyper acutely aware of the fact that people are coughing. It used to be people would cough and you wouldn't think twice about it. And, uh, and we might cough and we might not think twice about it. It would be a nuisance that we were coughing for a prolonged period of time, but we didn't think of it as anything, you know, sort of a, as a social issue. But now, you know, COVID came and now everybody's paranoid. We were wearing masks forever. And so now anytime you see somebody coughing, you think, well, what's wrong with them? Why are they here? Are they sick? Are they going to make me sick? And so on and so forth. The thing is, is that coughing itself is is normal. It's actually a protective reflex. And some people even argue that it's the most important function of our throats. Um, but really, our throat and our voice box have three specific functions. One is speaking, two is swallowing, and the third is actually coughing. And people usually cough to either dislodge something that's physically present. Uh, if we're sick, it could be something just like mucus or to prevent something from going down into our lungs. Uh, and, you know, when we have coughing fits that are sort of like path pathologic coughs, those are the sort of the fits where we're basically doubled over. Um, that's usually because our cough reflex has become uh, a bit oversensitized. Uh, 
And so really coughs break into sort of three categories. There's acute coughs, which happen when we're sick, and those usually last for, you know, three weeks or less. Then there's the subacute cough, which is what I think, you know, is the example you just gave me. And that's a cough which lingers for sort of three to eight weeks. And then something gets classified as a chronic cough if it persists for more than eight weeks. Uh, and interestingly enough, coughing is the single most common complaint for which people in the United States seek medical attention. So it's, you know, it's something that we're all experiencing. Now, the thing is, is that there are a ton of reasons that we can have coughing. Uh, so, you know, the example you just gave for yourself is, you know, cold and flu season. And it's usually not RSV, like you said, you think you might have had, although it could have been, uh, but it's typically rhinovirus or influenza virus. But, you know, RSV, we become more aware of RSV lately, and certainly COVID is the thing that we're, uh, you know, very hyper aware of right now because of the past few years. But, you know, uh, when it's not the cold season, there are other uh, triggers as well. There can be environmental triggers like cigarette smoke or air pollution, dust, uh, pet dander, mold, uh, even somebody's perfume if it's o overpowering. And for some people, cold air can be a stimulus to cough, especially if you have uh, asthma. Um, so the thing is, is when you get a cough, the cough itself causes irritation of your airway. And so that irritation begets more coughing and the more coughing begets more irritation. And that's sort of what leads into the, um, the persistent or subacute cough that, that goes on for a long time. But it sounds like in most cases, coughing is just your body's attempt to protect itself and you have to roll with it. Yeah, it is. And I think an important message from this is that just because somebody's coughing, it doesn't mean that they're uh, that they're contagious. Yeah, it's it's during the acute phase and really during the first few days where somebody is contagious, the first few days of an illness where somebody's contagious. But once you get to that subacute phase or even the chronic phase, you're no longer contagious. Yet we're so you know hyper aware of people coughing now because of COVID. We're like, what is that person doing here? But the fact is, is we've all been in that position. And the, the notion, there used to be a, a, a concept that uh, you were contagious, contagious as long as you were still coughing, but that's not true. You're only probably contagious for the first you know few days up to maybe a week after the illness starts and beyond that you're not by by then your body has uh eliminated the virus uh if that's the cause and um uh and and at this point it's just the uh hypersensitivity of your airways and your cough reflex that's causing the cough to persist there you go not every cough is contagious so says dr gordon cohen md dr cohen thank you thanks dave Dave Ross with Colleen O'Brien and Chris Sullivan, and joining us now from Washington, D.C., CBS congressional correspondent Scott McFarlane. And, Scott, I guess the uh, first order of business is the government shutdown. I hear there is an agreement on the numbers. Does that mean that uh, we are out of the woods here, or is there still a chance this might not pass? It dramatically increases the odds of a breakthrough before the shutdown deadlines of January 19th and February 2nd. Doesn't guarantee it, just increases the odds. But this is going to be just as messy, Dave, as those two short-term deals late last year to keep the government open. Um, the House Republican Freedom Caucus is going to hate this deal. They don't like the dollar amount, $1.6 trillion. They think the government should spend less, and they're going to really hate 
how this thing is passed with overwhelming Democratic support and outside the normal rules of order. They're going to have to skip doing this through normal procedures because some of the Republicans would block it otherwise. It's going to be messy. It's going to be ugly. It's going to say um, House Republicans maybe internally view this as defeat, but it's likely to become a deal. Okay, so does this put the uh, does this put Speaker Mike Johnson in trouble because he's uh, letting it go ahead, letting the vote go ahead with Democrats? Real good question. This is exactly what caused Kevin McCarthy to lose his job, letting a deal like this go through September thirtieth, twenty twenty three. This may be a problem that Mike Johnson has to overcome, and how does he overcome it? Well, we'll see some of that this week. Because midweek this week, one House committee controlled by Republicans is likely to find Hunter Biden in contempt of Congress for not following their subpoenas the way they wanted him to. They're going to work to impeach the Homeland Security Secretary. They're going to move forward further with impeachment inquiries into President Biden. He can perhaps placate some of his upset House Republicans on spending by doing those other things. Okay, is is there anything that we need to know about this uh, deal? Any major programs that have uh, are being cut? Any progress on immigration? So nothing yet. I mean, all they've agreed on is how much money to spend: one point six trillion dollars. They haven't agreed what to spend it on, what not to spend it on. If there's going to be any controversial policies required to approve the money, they haven't gotten there yet. They just agreed how much to put into the account, not what to spend it on. So this will get messier. This will get uglier, but this dollar amount has been agreed upon by all the big players, the and, Senate Democrats, the House Republicans. And no serious discussion of the the items that could make a, a difference in the debt, like Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid, huh? Uh, those are not part of this, and those are consistently not part of this, and that's why you're staring at a, a national debt that's north of $30 trillion at this Especially the, the, some of the budget hawks will argue it's only going to inflame things. I mean, this is yeah. going to make a dent in the, in the in the budget deficit, and that's one of the reasons why it doesn't have universal support. Right. All right. Now, give us some perspective, if you would, on this uh, Lloyd Austin thing. The Secretary of Defense apparently went into the hospital for a routine procedure. There was a problem, and uh, he was in intensive care at one point, and nobody picked up the phone and informed the president. Is is that what I'm reading? This is a mess, and I'm having to try to figure out, Dave, if this is a beltway mess or something that transcends you know, Washington, D.C. The nation's defense secretary, who's part of the nuclear protocols, who's in the line of succession, has been in the hospital for quite some time, for more than a week. Part of that time in intensive care and the national security apparatus, the White House, key players in his own agency didn't know it. Um, that's a problem. As you could imagine, the congressional overseers of Congress, including local congressman Adam Smith, they're concerned. They didn't know about this. I mean, there's a, there's a chain of command and rules of reporting, or at least a custom in reporting out somebody's health information if it's severe and if they're key players in the national security apparatus. So somebody's going to have to answer for why so little was disclosed. But what's more, as we sit here this morning, Dave, we still don't know what he has, how severe it is, or how long he's going to be hospitalized, or how he's functioning, as the Defense Department says he is, in his job right now while hospitalized. This is a mess. I'm just trying to get a sense of whether it's a localized mess or a bigger one. Yeah. Well, what what do we know about him? Politico ran a piece this morning calling him one of the most reclusive Pentagon chiefs we've ever had. Doesn't hold news conferences, uh, mostly out of the public eye. Is there something else going on here we should know about? There's a range in approaches members of the cabinet have to their job. There are some who are omnipresent and particularly happy and hungry for media attention. There are some who quite simply are not. 
Lloyd Austin has consistently fallen in the latter category. Um, reclusive is a word maybe you could use because he doesn't um, jump beneath the spotlight too often, which is not the, not the muscle memory here in Washington, D.C. of most power holders. But this, this is a different level. This is something that we haven't seen before. And ultimately, somebody's going to have to answer for what went wrong here. And if it's the secretary himself, he may have to do so publicly, not through a written statement from his hospital bed. Yeah. Okay, another, uh, let's go to politics. New York Representative Elise Stefanik, uh, who a big Trump supporter, uh, came out over the weekend and said she, has not, she is not going to commit to certifying the 2024 election. She also voted not to certify uh, the Pennsylvania vote in 2020, as did, you know, uh, other people. But are, is this now something that's uh, basically always going to be there, that there is a residual trust of any state that conducts uh, uh, all-male voting like we do here in Washington? She really is echoing the statements Donald Trump has made, and perhaps no surprise that you know, she may be on a short list to become Trump's vice presidential nominee. Um, there was part of an interview she did with Meet the Press yesterday in which she wouldn't commit to certifying election results, which is truly a remarkable thing to say out loud. But it's what she said next, Dave, when she referred to the January 6th defendants as hostages, very much echoing what Donald mm-hmm. Trump said over the past couple of weeks. you got to keep in mind, Dave, she's not just a House Republican leader. She's what they call the chair of the House Republican Conference. That means she's in charge of messaging and communication strategy for House Republicans. If other Republicans begin echoing what she said as the communication strategist, well, we're sure on a trajectory to a very dark place of recalling people convicted of crimes who pleaded guilty to crimes, hostages, when there are real hostages being held overseas, including Americans, in real danger. Yeah, good point. CBS congressional correspondent Scott McFarland. Thank you, Scott. Thanks, Dave. It's time for the Daily Dose of Kindness, brought to you by Heritage Homecraft. Two teens from Northwest Bakersfield, California, they started a business to help with the hassle of holiday cleanup. It began at 11 years old for Cooper Stuck. He was saving up for some boots. Now, a few years later, he's still working hard. He spoke with ABC affiliate KERO-TV. I like to do a lot of outdoor activities, and sometimes it gets expensive. Sometimes my parents don't want to pay for it, so I just want to raise money for myself. And his friend, Stephen White, wanted a golf club, and that was enough to join him. It was a bulky 60-degree wedge, I think is what it was, what inspired me to get into the into the uh, business. And the duo now goes around and picks up Christmas trees anywhere in Bakersfield. Uh, you guys have a real Christmas tree by chance this year? Aiming to create a stress-free cleanup for the holidays. And we'll clean up their driveway, make sure there's no leftover, just tree stuff on it. They can't take it off the stand or they have the stand on it, so we'll go inside, take it out for them, and just undo all of it and just put it back in the truck. One of the regular customers they have, Kent McKee, says that it was the first impression of these boys was what sold him. You know, I was impressed when I you know, came to the door however many years ago and offering this service with a flyer, which was really nicely done. I admire that, that spirit of going out and uh, doing something for yourself and, uh, and offering a service that's easy for people. The boys say the spirit of hard work was something they learned while growing up. Our parents have uh, inscribed that into us that hard work uh, makes money. Happy holidays from Cooper and Stevens Christmas tree removal. I'm sure there's something like that around here. It's nice to hear that an 11-year-old can start a successful business. Three years running now. Yeah, we had to undecorate the tree. It's always very sad. Yeah, that's why I do a fake one. It's just like an umbrella. You just... 
put it away. Really? Yeah. Ornaments and all? <laughs> no, not <laughs> ornaments and all, but you know what I mean. And I found a really good way to get rid of the pine needles on the carpet. Yeah. A vacuum? No. Okay. Something because you have to, because if you vacuum up, they don't work, right? It's oh, always, yeah. you got to sweep They're them sticky. into piles and then kind of get rid of them. Holly bought a, uh, a cat hair remover for the carpet. Oh, yeah. That thing worked like a champ. I was Genius. out there, it was boop, 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 boom. Carpet done, then vacuum, boom. I love done. that. Worked great. Yeah. How was your tree finding endeavor this year? Normally you go to multiple farms. You're so picky about it. Well, because it. of Tommy's football schedule, we did like we've done the last couple of years. Went to Lowe's. <laughs> found, a, found a little... You found one. Found a little Snoopy wow. Christmas tree. Yourself? It was half price because we bought it the week of Christmas. Oh it was only 30 bucks, and it wow. looked great. Your standards have really fallen. Yeah, they have. Well, you know, at some point <laughs> you, you get older that? and you realize, yeah, some things just aren't worth it. Yeah. You you the tree looked great. <laughs> Does she dress up in the boots and the... Uh, Heavy coat and everything to go into Lowe's? Uh, no, no. No, we just kind of grab whatever and just threw it in the back of the Did car. Did you even bring your saw just so it looked like you were nope. going to No, no, no. I'm a shadow of my former self. Yeah, you are. <laughs> and joining us from the G and Ursula show, which starts at 9, here is G. Scott. Good morning, brother. So, I feel we need to do like a, an exit interview for the uh, 2023 season. What, yeah. What did we learn? Uh, we learned that the uh, what happens when the bottom can fall out in the second half of any season. We also learned that uh, when you start a season, you have to finish the season. The Seahawks started off six and three, and it was playing a little above expectations to start the season. We're pretty excited. They ended the season nine and eight, missing the playoffs. Um, the defense. I'll start with that. Last season, they ranked 30th in the NFL against the run, right? And there's only 32 teams. This season, they ranked 31st against the run in the NFL. I repeat, there are only 32 teams. This Seahawks defense did not do a good job stopping the run. To be very specific, what we saw out there is the inability to tackle well. Something that we have not been used to seeing with this team. Colleen, the loss, that's the second time I've done it. They won yesterday. Okay. okay. <laughs> and the, re- the reason why I said it's the second time, my wife went to a baby shower. And when she had gotten home and I had gotten home from watching the game, she says, oh, did the Seahawks win? And I was on my phone at the time. I said, no, nah, they lost. You just automatically assumed. I just... I, just in my mind, yeah. I was such in a bad mood. Well, they lost their playoff chance. They lost their playoff chance, yeah, yeah. right? And so that just kind of had me just kind of in a bad place. So that so, was it? The defense? Wasn't yeah, that we lost well, Geno for a couple and, games? And, and, well, I want, I'll go to the offensive side of things. The offense kind of was like, uh, it, it, it underperformed a little bit. And specifically with that, it was the run game. Mm-hmm. The Seahawks only ran for 1,528 yards on the season. I feel like That's, we haven't been able to run since Marshawn Lynch. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, well, Chris Carson was just doing it a little bit. We The Seahawks haven't been this bad, Colleen, with running the football. So that hurt. That was in the bottom five. So think about this for a second. The Seahawks didn't rush, didn't run the ball as well this season. The Seahawks didn't stop the run this this season. Uh, So that ends up where the other team has the ball the majority of the time. Most of the time of these games, time of possession, the other team had the ball. So what what has to happen then? Can they draft their way out of this, or is there something else that has to change? Well, well, that's the beauty in the NFL. Uh, They are going to have to have some—there will be changes. 
Um, yes, the draft helps. Uh, and also the maturity of these first and second year players helps. And you, you got to hope that Geno Smith has a, if he is the starting quarterback next season. If. I'm, I mean, it's the NFL. You just never know, right? right. Just, there's nothing's guaranteed. Then I think that Geno Smith has to be better than what he was. He was decent. He had five uh, one comeback wins in the last minute of a game this season. He has five of those. The Seahawks won nine games, so I'd essentially say that that was kind of important. Why so. don't the Seahawks bring in more of those seasoned players that we can depend on, that we know, like Marshawn Lynch can run the ball. Mm-hmm. We know Cam Chancellor can tackle. We know all of these former Seahawks stars, you know, the Mariners, they bring in their former stars to coach and train the young players. You mentioned how young we are. Why don't we see that in football? So you meaning, meaning why don't they bring them in to coach? Yeah. I just think it's to willingness and to want to by these guys to want to coach. I mean, you you know, one thing I'll say and tip my hat off to coaches out there in the NFL and college, they, those are long days, Colleen. Not necessarily coaching, maybe just as a mentor for them to, to instill some of those, Mm -hmm. I don't know what they learned during their tenure with the yeah. Seahawks. One thing I've learned about uh, uh, let's, let's just take the football out of the way. Let's just go parenting. One thing I've learned about young kids and these youngsters, they sometimes don't like hearing it from the old timers sometimes. That's crazy. You know what I mean? That's crazy. Like, <laughs> if I had a chance for Marshawn Lynch to teach me how he does what he does and my ego goes, no thanks. I think That's at, really how it is? Colleen, I think at our age today, yes, we want, hey, That's Sully, funny. I want to learn. Hey, I want to learn. I forget in they're our like 20? 22. <laughs> in our 20s? I forget how young they are. I know everything. If there's anybody, any parents out there with some 20-something-year-olds as kids, you yeah. know what I'm talking about. You get to this age, as my as my dad used to say, oh, uh, okay, champs, starting to smell yourself, I see. Huh? <laughs> starting to well, smell yourself. So, yeah, the Seahawks did not uh, make it to the playoffs, so offseason begins today. Yep. G. Scott guys. with Ursula at 9 o'clock. Thank you, G. Coming up at 8.35, look at how the Huskies are preparing for tonight's national championship. But now it's time for Crime and Punishment, our look at the latest local crime information from Casey McNerthney at the King County Prosecutor's Office. We've been covering these smash-and-grab robberies, it seems like, every week using stolen vehicles. Uh, many times Kias, and there's this group called the Kia Boys, which has committed several of these crimes. And I want to just exactly, are they an organized group? Just just who are these guys? Where it started was on social media, on uh, TikTok and Instagram. You see kids using a USB to break into Kias and Hondas, and it's incredibly easy to do it. And you're going to see the year-over-year numbers uh, have exploded. Uh, it's it's incredibly frustrating and violating for for owners of those cars and, and what what's happening is not only that the car thefts are happening but also you're right that you're seeing those in smash and grab robberies you're seeing them uh enjoy rides that go bad and and very often these cars are left totaled and, and it's and it's a, a really just a huge mess now we we heard last week that one of them uh, one of them who's um had been arrested for one of these uh didn't show up in court which means he was somehow released. How did that happen? Well, uh, I think you're talking about the case from December 20th uh, that was in Seattle. And what what happened there was the court, the judge said he didn't think that there was probable cause for the arrest. Um, and, and so really what that means is in the short term of the first appearance, the three teens that were referred to us were released uh, on the court's decision. But the 
new information came from Seattle police investigators and there were juveniles that were in that case. And that went to the, the head of our juvenile division who looked at it. And we've now got to establish is that the probable cause for pulling over the car in the first place mm-hmm. is there because that's what the court said. We don't think that this was the correct kind of traffic stop. And so the, uh, the evidence and the crimes that were found after that also, there isn't probable cause for. So the new information from the case investigator is more beneficial. So we have that opportunity to go back and say, okay, here's the new info that we found out that wasn't available at the first appearance, but hopefully we'll have a different decision there. Given this new information, could he be rearrested? Oh, yeah. If if the court finds probable cause that there was that crime there and we can successfully argue with the new information that we get from Seattle police that there is that felony crime, that could lead to a, a different decision by the court. Okay. Uh, you also have a case of wire theft in uh, King County. These are these are thieves who basically steal the wire and sell it at a recycling center? Yeah. Yeah, which is incredibly frustrating. And uh, there was a case that Snoqualmie North Bend police did good work on um, a couple of weeks ago, and this was a pretty significant arrest. Here's Gary Ernstdorf, who worked on the case, explaining it. To give you an, a, some sense of what I'm talking about here, the folks from Comcast and Lumen, who are the one of the many victims, they estimate that this wire is approximately $3,000 a foot. And so we're talking in this incident, you know, in the hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in damage. And it's not just the wire loss that makes these cases so important. This is the digital communication networks that serves tens of thousands of people. So when we have one of these theft incidents, there are large areas and they're often rural areas because the thieves are trying to hit where they're not going to be seen in the middle of the night. So we get these large rural areas that are without digital communication. That means people cannot call 911. That means medical devices that have real-time monitoring um, are, are not being monitored. This is what I don't get. Who accepts used wire from a stranger and pays for it? Well, you're not the only person asking that question. And the good news is both police and prosecutors have asked that too. And Without giving away too much, I think you're going to hear a lot more about that in the coming weeks. Because when you have wire like that, that, that is pretty clearly stolen, uh, it, it, it it's hard to make that argument of, oh, hey, we didn't know. We just bought it. Yeah. And now you have some arrests in this, right? Yeah. So there were two people that were arrested. And Gary's team argued that uh, for the ringleader, $100,000 bail was appropriate. And the court agreed. And a question that I thought you might ask that, that I had was, you know, in addition to the felony theft and malicious mischief and stolen property charges that they're facing now, is there a chance that there could be additional charges for knocking out that 911 service or, or the, you know, the other right. implications of it? Here's how Gary explained that. And you raise a good question about can't we charge crimes that are more targeted to the vulnerable victims involved? The problem there is really the mental element of those crimes where we really have to prove some additional knowledge or at least some recognition and disregard of the of the hazards they're causing and and so we'll be looking for additional evidence to support those charges but i'm not sure we have it presented right now hmm now let me think about that so they would have to you have to prove that they knew that by stealing that wire, they were also disabling 911 service to people? Right. Who cares whether they knew or not? Well, the court does. Huh. 
unfortunately, I mean, it seems obvious to me and you because you and I would look at that and say, what the heck do you think is going to happen if you knock out this wire? Yeah. What you got to show is that they knew that wire would do that, you know, and it's got to show, that, you know, if you have a text message, for example, that says, hey, we knocked out 901 service, ha, 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 that could work, you know, or, or if there was a sign saying, you know, on the wire that was stolen, like, yeah, that's what I, you know, this is used for them, but it, the argument that you and I would make of, of why wouldn't you know this is, isn't quite enough. You have to accept yet. the, con- if you steal something, you accept all the consequences of that act, it seems to me. And if you post signs, I was thinking that, okay, so we got to post signs saying, right. by the way, this wire is crucial to 911 service. For some people, that's like an invitation, it seems to me. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for terrorism, for sure. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, that's almost like, for some people would say that. That's kind of like posting a sign, hey, the sky's blue. But sometimes you got to, you know, wow. as bizarre as it sounds. We're hearing from Casey McNerthy from the King County Prosecutor's Office. And with the legislative session beginning, I asked him whether whether his office is asking the state legislature for any help in making these crimes easier to prosecute. The short answer is yes. And one of the things that Gary's working on, what I'm referring to, is catalytic converter theft. And, and he was very close. He was the one who was really leading the charge with a couple of lawmakers for the last couple of years trying to get this law passed to address people who were illegally buying uh, this metal, whether it be here or with catalytic converters primarily. Because if you, if you drive the demand for it and make it clear that people who are buying this have to be held accountable... Yeah. The desire to steal it goes down. Yeah, exactly. I, I these guys know they're buying stolen stuff, right? They've got to. Yeah. I mean, if you're if if the company is legitimately recycling wire, it's going to be a guy who's got an ID badge from the cable company saying, documenting, you know, where this wire was salvaged from, et cetera, et cetera. These guys don't have that, do they? I, not that we've seen. And it's not all metal recyclers. It's 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 certain instances of it and what gary found in and brought this up in olympia last year and and i'm sure we'll bring it up again is is there's always talk of well there's inspections for metal recyclers but he he said okay show me the record of that and Mm -hmm. they couldn't find this long detailed record of inspections and 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 so he pointed that out in the draft legislation that he wrote saying see this is an oversight this is a loophole where we've got to fix this because you don't want to loop everyone together but the people who are doing it improperly are the ones that need to be addressed but you can't pass a law and then say okay but we're not going to enforce it right it doesn't work (laughs) yeah Yeah. casey mcnerthy from the king county prosecutor's office thank you casey thanks a lot dave good to see you I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Colleen O'Brien. Thanks for listening to Seattle's Morning News. You can hear us live every morning on 97.3 FM or subscribe to this podcast and you'll never miss the show.